There's actually probably about eight to ten different places I want you to see. And I want us to read this morning. Um, not just hear it from me. Not just have it on the screen. But I want you to actually read it, look it up, see it with your own eyes. It's really important. We're going to be mainly in Matthew chapter 25. And the parable of the sheep and goats. Sounds fun, right? Matthew 25. And then the second thing you need is I want to make sure uh, that you have either one of these from last Sunday night or you have one in your hand now. Um, If not, there are some there in the back we could pass out. I just want to make sure that every family has one of these. I want to just spend a couple minutes, a couple moments um, on this and what this night was all about and actually how it directly ties into our uh, text today as we're uh, talking about the parable of the sheep and goats. Eternal life, eternal judgment. Uh, Today should be a fun day, all right? So buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, So this past Sunday night, uh, we had what's called our Vision 2025 night. Um, We, just below us, we gathered in the big room downstairs, and we had a night of vision, and we had dinner. We had just a time together to be able to celebrate what God's done in Conduit the last five years, as well as what he's going to do and what we're praying for him to do and what we're leaning in for him to do for the next seven. So by 2025, this gives us about seven years to accomplish uh, some goals that we have set, that we feel uh, through prayer and a lot of time (laughs) and many, many months of the leadership coming together, praying, talking, trying to strategize about ultimately what is God called Conduit to in the city of Jamestown, in the Jamestown region. And we've arrived at this. Our vision, ultimately, is to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. We've been saying that for a long time. That hasn't changed. Our mission is to live, love, and serve. Like what? Like Jesus. Live like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. That's the goal. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like in our city? What does that look like for you and I to take up this mission of Jesus through conduit um, to the city? And we think it looks a lot like this. Kind of walks you through um, a little bit of the history of conduit, why we're uniquely positioned, where we're at, and then where we're headed and where we want to go. Specifically to some, some, some actual destinations, some actual people groups, some actual um, initiatives that we want to accomplish. And we want you to see this. Ultimately, the point of why I bring this up is I want you to take the time this week um, to listen to the audio of that night. Um, we have it in podcast form on our website, conduitministries.com, um, or it's on the app as well. Um, you can listen to from beginning to end, just literally there's all of our leadership is up and um, there are 10 of us that are communicating in different ways the things that we're maybe personally passionate about, um, that some initiatives that Conduit is doing. It was really neat just to hear um, from different voices of leadership that kind of established this through the last several months. Um, We've had uh, quite the process that we've been in, and it's been great. And so I want to encourage you guys to listen to that, um, and I want to encourage you to get, make sure you have one of these. This idea of every man, woman, child is the true identity of what conduit is. It's not for a specific kind of person. It's for all persons. Every man, woman, and child. That's our heart. That's our vision. To see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities is not just about specific locations. It's about every person in those locations. Every man, woman, and child. So, again, if you were not here, um, I want to make sure that you have one of these. Uh, If you were here, I want to make sure that you have another one of these uh, so that you know it and you see it. Maybe put it on your fridge and begin to pray through this um, as we move forward. And if you were not there that night, I want to make sure that you uh, take a listen to uh, all that had happened. All right, so we are in Matthew 25. Everybody good today? Are you happy to be here? Yeah? I hope that this morning is 
um, as challenging, and I mean this seriously, as challenging to you as it was to me studying this. This is not a, um, an easy message to preach. I guess they're n none of them are easy. Um, this is a... It's an eye-opening sermon. It's an eye-opening passage because it challenges every single one of us. And it lays down this, levels the ground for every single one of us. And Jesus calls in this parable, he has this way of teaching us uh, through parables what really matters. And in, in a lot of the parables that we've been in for, for several weeks now, a lot of times Jesus will use a parable, uh, he'll tell a story. And then we usually spend the next 45 minutes kind of dissecting that story and walking through like what does that mean and what actually happened. And even though these weren't actual events, that the stories by which Jesus was telling the parables, they were more of analogies or teaching points to where we're supposed to learn something. But this, this parable is a little bit different. This is actually at the end of the Olivet Discourse. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. The next step for him literally is being arrested, crucified, dying, and rising again, ascending to heaven, dot, dot, dot. The next thing that's supposed to happen in history, the next thing that's supposed to happen in Jesus' pattern and timeline is for him to return to us. Amen? I think that that's something to get excited about. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, or you're like, I'm here, but I'm not really sure what that means yet. I'm not really sure what this church thing about, what this Jesus thing about. Y'all make a big deal about Jesus. You need to know, like, loud and clear, he is coming back. He is coming back. And here's the thing. <laughs> uh, I love this. He's not necessarily coming back um, to live humbly, to be born in a manger, to serve, heal, and teach. He's coming to judge. Yep. No, it's not a popular word nowadays. But he's coming to judge because he is the judge. And we're going to see today that he is the king. He is the Lord of all of heaven and all of earth. God the Father, creator God, has put all authority under Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to do something very unique. He's going to separate us all. And this parable kind of walks us right into that. Ultimately, this is not a parable that's a story or a certain great analogy about a son that left and squandered it all, squandered it all and then was welcomed home. Or, this isn't a story about something that was lost. This is actual prophetic event that actually will take place. Um, it's, it's metaphor, but it's very clear. Jesus here teaches us that serving others is actually the main conduit to serve him. So this isn't just, or ultimately, but actually the, 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 the core of this story isn't necessarily about what you think it might be about. This story is about serving others and the importance of serving the least of these. The importance of serving the least of us, least of these. So Jesus teaches us that serving others is actually the main conduit to serve him. Let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a sheep, excuse me, as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. No offense to goats. Um, need to understand that. Um, although I had, I had two goats uh, who died this month, so maybe that's prophetic. I don't know. That's maybe not. I guess I should have thought that through before I said that. Um, <laughs> but that, that's your story. Anyways, back. <laughs> Back to the important stuff. Not my awesome farming abilities. Uh, <laughs> he, 
He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will place the sheep on his right. He will put the goats on the left. And then in verse 34, he begins to go into this ultimate analogy, this ultimate teaching point that it ultimately it defines why he's separating them. And he says that the king will say to those on the right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, I was hungry and you gave me food. This is Jesus speaking. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, like when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome? When did we see you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? When, when did this happen? And the king answered him, Truly I say to you, as you've done it to the least, the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. This is key. As you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. That's only half the story. But then he will say to those on the left, the goats, so to speak, depart from me, you cursed. Sorry, sorry, this, this side, I, I know... This is ultimately, you're like, oh, I'm on the right side. But, like, it really matters who's facing you. You're my left side. All right? Because in this story, it ultimately, and in reality for all eternity, it doesn't matter from your perspective which side you're on. It matters what Jesus says, what side you're on. It doesn't matter what you think equates to being saved or being forgiven, or being righteous, or I'm a good person, and I did all of these things, and I never did these. It doesn't matter what you think or whatever side you're on. It ultimately matters the one who's judging you says you're on. So we're going to get to the fact of how Jesus, how does Jesus separate the sheep and goats, and where that comes into play for you and I in just a moment. But he says to those on the left, depart for me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why hell was made, by the way. It's not some cruel, lacking compassion, sick God. It, it, wasn't, made for, it wasn't made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. And he goes on to say, for I was hungry and you gave me, you guys, you gave me no food. I, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Huh. Or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick? Or in prison and did not minister to you. In verse 45. Then he will answer them. Truly I say to you as you did it. Truly I say to you as you did not do it. To the one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Woe. So this is, this is the real deal. The last few weeks, two weeks ago, we specifically we talked about the Good Samaritan. We talked about these other examples where Jesus himself, his very words, describes what it takes to get to heaven. And then he uses deeds. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought it was about faith. Or is it about deeds? Which is it? So we're going to spend some time on that this morning. I, I, I have a, a desire this morning. I'm, I'm not really a charted person or a structured bullet point, three points in a poem kind of preacher. But this morning, I want to simply answer or help us answer through Scripture three questions. I want to try to answer three questions. Here are the three questions. 
Does Jesus have the authority to send people to eternal life and eternal punishment? Sending people to eternal life in heaven or eternal punishment in hell? Like, who has that power? And does Jesus ultimately have the authority? Does he have the clearance to make that decision? This whole sheep and goats thing, like, is this just an analogy, analogy for an ego? Or is this ultimately truth because he is the judge? So I want to try to answer that. Does Jesus have the authority to send people to eternal life and eternal punishment? Second question, can we make it to heaven by our good deeds? Can we make it to heaven by our good deeds? This story, in context, sure seems that way. Or at least it calls into question the reality of where these good deeds are flowing from. It sure calls into question the reality of that we are not just supposed to believe and sit pretty and wait. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Can, our, can we make it to heaven by our good deeds? And then the third question is, um, who are the least of these? Who are the least of these? And, and Conduit, you need to know that the least of these is at the very heart of God. And it therefore is at the very heart of Conduit. This is our future. The least of these that we serve, that we want to affect in our city, our churches, in our home, the least of these isn't an afterthought. It is the very thought. In this parable, Jesus teaches us that serving others is the main conduit in serving him. How are you going to serve Jesus when we don't see him? How are we going to serve the Holy Spirit when he's living inside of us, outside of honoring the temple and honoring our body and letting his power fill and overflow us? How ultimately in our actions do we serve Jesus directly? By serving others. And he points it out so clearly. This isn't just like some pretty uh, connection. Like, yeah, serve others. It's really nice. Jesus is like really smiling about you serving the least of these. No, he's tying the least of these, and serving them to even accessing eternal life. Now, again, I like to stir the pot a little bit. I always do. So before you chase me out, just pay attention. Hopefully you got your Bible because ultimately the Bible is boss. Um, we believe that the Bible is an inerrant word of God. God breathed it out. We believe it. We trust it. We believe that it has the ultimate authority, not what I think. Not my opinion, not your opinion. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, Jesus stands in judgment. And we believe wholeheartedly that in his word, it's boss. And so I want to walk through what some of these look like again. Does Jesus have the authority to send people to eternal life and to eternal punishment? Matthew chapter 28, you can turn there. I'm just quickly going to reference it. Matthew 28, it's the end of it all for Jesus. And there's this moment of him ascending back up into heaven and around this, this same uh, event that's happening, Jesus is telling his disciples in those last moments, he says that all authority is given to me. All authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says this, this amazing quote, and I'll read to you. He says... Um, in regards to the authority of Jesus, he says, either this man, Jesus, is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come with, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Let me just say this right out front. There's no other there's no other way to access eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't mean you cram that down your friend's throat when you're debating other religions. Jesus calls us to serve and speak truth. To live this out 
This isn't a moment of, hey, y'all, I got all the answers, and y'all don't. This is a moment to open yourself up, drink lots of coffee, eat lots of burgers with someone across the table that doesn't agree with you, and for you to walk them through the truth that you believe. And if they believe a different truth, you keep trying. You keep praying. Because ultimately, if we believe, here's the reality. If we believe that at the end of the day, at judgment, that Jesus Christ is, has all authority in heaven and earth. And Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats for eternal life and eternal damnation. If we actually believe that, conduit, if I actually believe that, that there are millions of people that are headed into a Christless eternity, if I actually believe that, not just for cool church games, if I actually believe that, my life will radically change. And I know yours would too. And so there are times, I know this is a heavy one, there are times where we as followers of Jesus, we need to literally We need to see this big picture. We need to keep in mind that that judgment day is coming. And that when Jesus comes back, when he comes back, are you a sheep? Are you a goat? And goat is not greatest of all time. Sheep or a goat? Jesus has all authority to make this decision. The great Billy Graham says this in regards to the Father's vindication about his son Jesus. He says, the resurrection was the Father's vindication that Jesus was the Savior of the world. And the second coming is the Father's vindication that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. You see, Jesus has been given all authority. He is the hero. He is the hero, not us. Um, I'm going to ask you um, to, to mark this. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is, this is like the, 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 the ultimate climax of this subject. It's the ultimate idea of what we're trying to come a, a, uh, bring across this morning. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You may know this um, if you grew up in Awana or you grew up in... Um, church or whatever. This may be a very familiar verse. Um, it's this idea that for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works. Lest any man would boast. It's so that no man would boast. I remember hearing this word like boast. That's, that wasn't a, a normal word that you would use, especially as a child. And I remember somebody just explaining this idea of what it looks like to boast and puffing your chest out. This prideful idea that you made it, that you got it all figured out. As believers and followers of Jesus, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. We are not the hero. He is the hero. That's why we get to show up every Sunday and worship him. That's why we get to live every day and wake up and be like, I get to worship him. I get to worship Jesus, not myself or the, even the best version of myself. He, yes, he wants to bring out, you, out of you the best version of everything you could be because he's got amazing plans for you. He's got amazing things for you to do. He's not just saved you from something, he saved you to something. But ultimately, it's about him. He is the hero. Think about this. The whole, the whole, all of scripture filled with one of the, like, the greatest stories are in this Bible. Even just think like the Old Testament. Think about Moses. Think about David. Let's zoom in on David. David and Goliath. We read the story of David and Goliath from little kid to, to even as an adult. We're like, David and Goliath, yeah, he like taunting, and then he steps in, and then he, he, he takes a slingshot, and takes a five smooth stones, and he swings them around, and he swings at the giant, and hits the giant in the forehead, the giant dies, he goes over, and he cuts this boy named David, cuts uh, the head off of Goliath. You may have left that part out when you're telling your kids a story at bedtime. Um, Cut the head off, held the head in the air, 
both hands, and then the entire Israelite army who had been shaken in their sandals is now running after the whole Philistine army. One of the best stories. But here's the thing. We read this story, and we're like, yeah, I got some Goliaths in my life. I want to be like David. And we step in as if we're the hero. That's not the point of the story of Moses, of Noah, of David, of any of the prophets, even New Testament. These these uh, B-team disciples that became like big shot apostles and like planted churches and sent the gospel around the world and healed people. At the basis of any of that, they were not the hero. Jesus was the hero. It's this idea that Jesus stepped in as David. We were the Israelites shaking in our sandals and he stepped in. He is the hero. So we got no room to boast. You're here today. You've received Jesus as your Savior. You've been saved. You're running after Jesus with all you got. You've still got nothing to boast about other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is ultimately the hero at the end of the day, not you or I. I love like the old cartoons. Think of like Popeye where like olive oil um, was always the, 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 the woman in distress and she always need like all these old cartoons or whatever it was, or the animal or whatever it was, there was always something or someone in distress and they always needed rescue. That is us all day long. That is us. We are always, always in need of rescue. Jesus is the one that steps in and rescues us. Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one who ultimately can set you free today. Jesus is the one that can work on your marriage and bring restoration. Jesus is the ultimately, Jesus is ultimately the one that can mend the brokenhearted. Jesus is the one who ultimately can make us feel not lonely anymore. Jesus is ultimately the one that can meet us where we're at today and change it all through the gospel. Jesus is that hero and not us. We've got nothing to boast about other than Jesus. And so we make a big deal about Jesus. That's why. Because at the end of the day, we're the one that always needs rescued. He isn't just the Savior. He is the ultimate authority. He is the Son of Man. 100% man when he was on this earth. But he was 100% God. Through and through. He conquered that through healing. Through raising the dead. And even raising himself from the dead. When he conquered death, it proved to all of us that he wasn't just the savior of the world, but as Billy Graham says, he was the Lord of all of heaven and earth. Are you with me? Okay, so question, does Jesus have the authority (laughs) to send people to eternal life and eternal punishment? Yes or no? Yes. So know this. Today, Don't ever wonder, don't ever wonder whether you have eternal life in heaven or eternal punishment. The greater question is, do you know Jesus? Have you made much of Jesus? Have you served others as a direct connection to Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? My my daughter which I have two daughters, by the way. Eden's birthday today is today, so if you see her, give her a big high five, and um, you can um, write a check to Corey Eret um, for her birthday. Um, uh, but make sure you wish her a happy birthday. She is, uh, oh, she's, she's my person. Not only does she look like me, minus the beard, but she is my person. My other daughter, Mabel. Someday my kids will need counseling from all the stories uh, that I share. My other daughter, Mabel, is is so funny. Like, (laughs) she is so much trouble. But, like, like four-something this morning, she's like, ah, let's go. Let's get the day. She took a nap before church today because she was up. This is, she's... She's crazy, but hilarious at the same time. And she has this um, amazing, amazingly high level of emotional intelligence. She has this feeling when there's like this grumpy dad in the room. Um, She knows when mom and dad are upset with her. She's done something wrong, which is often. Maybe it's just like a practice thing. Practice, Practice makes perfect, maybe not in that case, but... 
She ultimately consents that there's something off, that she's done something wrong. She's two, right? She's about to be three, but she senses this. And this is what she does. When she's done something wrong, and we don't even have to say a word, she does this. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. I'm not even looking at her. Hi, Daddy. Like, oh, shoot, she knows I'm upset. Ah, like she ultimately, like it, it's, it's her way of checking the pulse. How am I with dad right now? Hi, daddy. And a lot of times it's like a, yeah, you need, girl, you need to know. But sometimes it's like, oh, she's so cute. I can't. <laughs> Hi, Mabel. You know, there's this, I, there's this um, practice that we have to constantly keep check. That relationship with Jesus that relationship with the Father, that relationship with the Holy Spirit is ultimately asking, or it's ultimately essentially saying, hi, Daddy, and waiting for a response. Scripturally, that response has already been given through the cross. We can always have right standing with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit through believing in his name for salvation. How do I know? Let's take a look. All right, you ready? You got your, your uh, Bible fingers ready? Uh, I want you to go to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 1. How are we doing? Oh, we're good on time. We're good. Everybody all right? Everybody get enough coffee? I did. John 1, and as you're going to John 1, I'm just going to read James 2. James is interesting, and I want to start with James, because he talks specifically, specifically about works and about salvation, and about faith without works. Now why, now let me read it, and I'll explain why. Uh, uh, James says, in chapter 2, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That's why we're here today, right? Is to have this understanding, have this question. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? Thus also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James was famous in saying this phrase. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Repeat after me. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now why did James say this? Do you know who James was? Did you know Jesus had a brother? Yep. Mary and Joseph, you know, Christmas, like all the, the manger scene and the baby Jesus and the animals and all that. Like, Jesus, uh, excuse me, James, um, was born of Mary and Joseph. Um, James was the brother of Jesus. And um, imagine bunking with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah, imagine the pressure. <laughs> oh, man. And, and obviously, James was the younger brother. And uh, imagine the pressure of living up to Jesus, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so many things we could say about that. But James, ultimately, here's the deal. One of the ways that directly proves to me that Jesus was God is his own brother admitted it. I mean, if your brother's claiming that you're God, <laughs> I mean, you've crossed a lot of barriers. Like, I have an older brother. I know the camaraderie. I know the, like, if I could, man, I would, I would chokehold you, man. But I know I can't kind of thing. But James is here admitting that Jesus is Lord. His brother is God. James, in reality, in, in all the historical accounts of James and after Jesus had ascended, and all the disciples and these early followers and early leaders of the Jesus movement, James was one of them that was the spearhead of, ult of ultimately communicating the, the gospel changes at all. 
And when he claimed, when they claimed that Jesus was God, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that salvation is by Jesus alone, the Jews hated that. Specifically to James, they brought him to the top of the Temple Mount, true historical count, and they threw him off because he would not deny his brother as God. He hit the ground, and he lived. And they walked up to him with a club and says, recant that Jesus, your brother, is the son of God. And he says, I will not. And they clubbed him to death. Bro thought his brother was God. If you've got a brother, and somebody's picking on your brother, and they tell you that they're going to now leave him alone, what would be your first response? Prove it. You messing with my brother? You messing with my sister? You messing with my family? You messing with my people? All right, prove it. Prove it that you're going to leave him alone. This is James's heart. He's saying prove that you have faith. Prove it. Show it. You say you got faith? Show it. Faith without works is dead, James says. Prove it. You ultimately believe that Jesus has saved you? Then show it. And Jesus right here... Back to our main text. How do you show it? Jesus teaches us that serving others is the main conduit to serving him. All right, you're at John 1. We're at John 1, verse 12. We're trying to answer this question right now. Can we make it to heaven by our good deeds? John 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him. Who's him? Jesus But to everybody that received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how do you become, in this verse, verse 12, how do we become a child of God? By believing in his name. By believing in his name. Next one. Acts 15. Go to Acts 15. Quickly. Let's go. Look alive. Look alive. Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts 15. Verses 11. Acts 15, 11. But. Are you there? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. We've already walked through this through Ephesians, that you're saved by grace through faith. So we need to know right out front, believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord. Again, I want you to see these with your eyes. Romans, keep going. One more, one more book. Romans chapter 3, popular one. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. You guys still with me? Looking alive? You got it? Some of y'all ready for lunch. Some of y'all, you, are you good? All right, we're in Romans 3, 22. Man, I don't know what they put in that coffee. The righteousness of God, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. His grace is a gift. It's not earned. It's not paid for. It's already been paid for. It's a gift. It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Key word, passed over. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we, so that he might be just as a justifier and the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus? Then you're saved. You believe in his name. You are saved. Keep going. A little bit further. Galatians. The book of Galatians. 
I hear six of you people turning. Come on. Galatians chapter 6. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, verses 6. Again, like I know this is, this is a lot. Where it was like, keep rolling, keep rolling. But I want you to see this. I want you to know this. This isn't like a great idea that we've pulled out of Scripture. If you're here today and you're new maybe to the faith or you're new to church, like I don't feel worthy, I don't feel righteous, I don't feel holy, well guess what? You're not. But the good news is, is it's been gifted to you to be completely holy, completely filled with grace, the grace of Jesus by your faith, by your believing in Him. Galatians 3 verses 6 says, just as Abraham believed in God, and it is counted to him as righteousness. This phrase all throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over, the just, meaning the forgiven, the righteous, they will live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So you say, like, how, okay, if this was, if the Old Testament, if for these Israelites, before Jesus came, how did they get saved? How did they go to heaven? Here's the answer. By faith. They believed the Messiah was to come. And just like you and I in 2018, we believe that the Messiah has already come. So what they were seeing as future faith, we're seeing as past faith. But ultimately, we're all looking to the Savior who will gloriously appear and who will bring us home for eternity. That we will be separated as sheep and goats. This faith is important. What you believe is ultimately important. Can you be saved by your good deeds? No. Can you be make it to heaven by your good deeds? No. And I think this points it out right, obvious, and clear. I didn't finish that one. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, Know then that this is that, know then that it is those of faith. Wow. Know then that it is those of faith, wow, who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You want to be blessed like Abraham? You want to be blessed because of his faith? Then you follow the same pattern in believing in God by faith that he has saved you, that he can save you. You feel like garbage today? You feel like the thing that you've done or done a thousand times will, will separate you from a holy God? It absolutely will. And it absolutely always will. Jesus enters the room. Belief in Jesus covers all sin, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how consumed and trapped and in bondage that you feel at this very moment, at this very day. You're like, yo, I knew this, Pastor Corey. I know this stuff, and I totally get it. But you know what? I am so in bondage to this sin over and over and over again. And here I sit. I know what you're going to say next. And I know you're going to open the door for me to come to Jesus. I know you're going to open the door. You're going to open this altar for me to come pray and ask for forgiveness because, man, he'll forgive me every day. I know what you're going to say, Corey, but here's the reality. That's true. That's true. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He made a way, he made it possible when there's no way that you and I could make it possible. None of us are righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It levels the ground. How do you become a sheep and not a goat? How do you have eternal life and not eternal death? It's good news. It's not because of what you've done or not done. It's because of the faith that you've put in Jesus Christ on the cross who paid the penalty for your sin who died a death that he didn't deserve instead of you, instead of me. This is something to rejoice about. This is something to celebrate. This is something to live for. This is something that ultimately propels us into something new and great and puts us on mission. How amazing is that? How amazing is it that we are sheep that have gone astray, that he has received us? And like, what's so special about sheep? Nothing. Yeah, we could think of some cool ideas. 
Is. But ultimately, the reason why he keeps using sheep over and over in the Bible, from Psalm to, to Matthew, sh- sheep are dumb. Like, no offense. We're, like, we're, it's not because we're awesome. He uses sheep. He's not like, I'm going to separate you guys into lions and cheetahs. Well, lions are cool, man. Like, they do some cool stuff, right? Or like eagles and pigeons. Like, totally, eagles are awesome. He calls us, like, the winners in this story. The winners in this parable are sheep. I want to be a sheep. Why? Because I'm awesome. No, I want to be a sheep because of the shepherd. That's why he says sheep. Sheep are cool and all. The only thing that makes sheep cool is the shepherd. Amen? That's the point. How do I know them? They're my sheep. They know me by name. They know them by name. They know my voice. They know who I am. There's a connection. There's a relationship. So that day, check it out. He's not going to be confused when he's separating the sheep and goat. He's like, ah, I know you're identifying as a sheep, or a sheep but don't go there. I'm not, I'm not going there, all right? I'm not, we're not going there, all right? It's correction. <laughs> Let me just skip over that because that's not the direction I was headed. He knows whether you're a sheep or goat. He knows whether you've placed and you've thrown your whole life in faith. He paid the price for your sins. And that he isn't just your savior, he is your Lord. And you've surrendered to him. You've surrendered your life, your thoughts. You've even surrendered your mistakes and your addictions. And you pick it back up today and you pick it back up this week and you sin again and you sin again. (sighs) Throw yourself on the grace of Jesus again. It's not license to go do what you want to do. It's freedom from the bondage of sin. And it's just as true right now. Check me out. Whether you're 32 or 82, it's just as true if you're 32 or 92 or 12 or 4. Faith And Jesus Christ sets you free no matter what you've done between 32 and 82. No matter what you've done, the faith in Jesus Christ has set you free. Can we be saved by our good deeds? No. No. Third question. Kind of kind of shifts here. The last question is, who are the least of these? Like, ah, like those are some pretty serious talk, man. Like, we're talking about heaven and hell, and we're talking about eternal damnation and eternal life. We're talking about sheep and goats, and all of a sudden, like, Jesus' mic drop, his, like, his point of this parable is about this group of people called the least of these. Well, I don't, I don't want to shift and bring up a new message. I ultimately want you to see that he's brought us, he's separated us, he's redeemed you, he's saved you as sheep so that you would follow the shepherd, so that you would serve the shepherd. How do you serve the shepherd? You serve the shepherd by serving others. Who's the others? Who are the least of these? It's the naked. It's the hungry It's the thirsty, it's the imprisoned, it's the strangers. It's the people that aren't the easiest to receive or to help. It could be as simple as a good Samaritan where bros got him, he's beat up on the side of the road. They took all his money, his clothes. He has no food, no job, his head, pet's heads are falling off. Like it's a rough day for this guy. And the good Samaritan comes along. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate that. Um, Then the good Samaritan comes along and he recognizes that this man needs help. Actual help. Clothes him, he feeds them, he feeds him and he gets him to a place where he can be ultimately helped. But what about you and I? What about our everyday? Like, man, I work, you know, you may say to me, I I work 60 hours a week. I mean, how am I supposed to help the least of these? How are, how are we supposed to, to help the people that are in need? How are we supposed to help? The, I mean, I haven't seen any um, 
people begging for food today. I haven't seen any naked people that need clothes today. Um, I haven't seen any uh, strangers that tried to visit me and I was supposed to welcome them. I, like, I may not have seen it this very moment, this very day, but I think ultimately Jesus is asking us to go find them. Maybe today the takeaway, the practical, is that maybe some of our patterns need to change a little bit. Or, or maybe, here's the other thing. Um, I know I got some pretty rough coworkers um, myself, um, but maybe for you, maybe for you it's somebody right under your nose every day at work, or in your home, or in your church, or in your city, and, and they, need, they need help, like actual help, not a hug. Like we're heading into an awesome season of giving for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it is that time where people just love to be charitable. I want to encourage you kind of like just stick out like a sore thumb in loving your neighbor and loving your, your coworkers. And those all around you, there's people all around you that have needs that may not need food to eat for dinner, but maybe need help with their electric bill. That maybe need a ride. You got an extra car, may need to borrow a car for a week. That may need a break. Shoot, somebody showed up at my house this week and gave me like $150 worth of steak. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here at Conduit. Like, I love me some steak. I'm in. Someone was in my uh, kitchen recently and saw an appliance that needed some love and got on their phone and bought a brand new one and got it delivered. Like, there's needs all around us. And it may not be as atypical as a homeless guy with a sign. But there's probably great needs, actual needs, in the pew that you're in right now. And so I'm asking us, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging us to equate salvation as a direct connection to the least of these. To those that need help. I love the vision of conduit. I love the ideas that we have that we were able to just like spew out as leaders last Sunday night. I, I love this, this brilliant idea to recognize what is the largest growing population. Did you guys know that Chautauqua County is growing? Well, what is the largest growing number of people in Chautauqua County? The Hispanic community. The Hispanic community. And I feel like, we feel like, we got to build some bridges. Like it's time for us to do what it takes to reach them. Because this counts and that counts as church. Did you know one of the greatest things or one of the greatest challenges that we, that, that the city of Jamestown specifically faces? Healthy food and access to healthy food. You know, we can get in our cars and we can drive to the grocery store. And we can go up and we can spend way more money than we should on produce and things that are healthy. Because let's face it, it's unfortunately way more expensive to eat healthy than it is to eat garbage. And so that's been capitalized right in the city. There's people that are in food deserts that have no direct access to good food, to good groceries. And so we feel, yeah, Conduit isn't a grocery store, but guess what? We feel directly responsible to affect that. There are people in this church that go to kind of that, that, that need a job. We're not okay with them not having a job. You desire to work, we want to hook you up to a place where you can find a job and work. There are so many of these aspects that are not directly maybe in front of us every day but they are all around our city they are all around us everywhere we go and we have got to begin to open our eyes to that the least of these 
Um, I love what John Wallace, or excuse me, Jim Wallace says um, on our statement of faith. Um, at the top of Conduit's statement of faith is this quote. So it's super, super important. Jim Wallace says that the Christian doctrine is one that is both about individual spirituality and a parallel commitment to social justice. Are good deeds important? Good deeds, they are not the cause of salvation. It is the effect of salvation. Good deeds, they're not the cause of salvation. They are the effects of salvation. I love that when Jesus challenges us to serve others, he directly, like, like just nears it with that that is him. You want to serve the least of these? You're serving me. You don't serve the least of these, he says. You, you haven't served me. And then he directly connects that with you're a sheep or you're a goat. I know that ultimately there are a lot of people in this world. There are a lot of people in this world that love their city or love their community or love others and they serve others in a certain way. They serve the least of these and they serve the poor. But ultimately the reason that we serve the poor is because we're directly serving Jesus. We love them so much. Because we see Jesus in them. We see how they're directly connected to Jesus. The least of these, not, least of these, not just the people that are rich or powerful or, or pretty or whatever it is that we, it's easy for us to go after them or serve them. We need to go after the least of these because they are disguised as Jesus. Um, a friend of mine uh, recently has been um, uh, directed by God to uproot his whole life, uproot his whole family's life, and to go um, to another part of, of this uh, world to serve the poor and the needy in the name of Jesus. That the gospel would change everything for the place that, that has been called. And um, he has a job um, as he's preparing to go. And um, this job is, is like many of you, is in a, a service industry. Um, where every day he's with customers that he's going to love on and he's going to serve them and he's going to help them and he's going to welcome them in. It's this idea of like clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and, and giving a uh, drink to the thirsty and welcoming the strangers. It's, like it's, it's like many of you, it's his job every day. And because he was honest with his boss or bosses, about what God has called him to, that his very job in the service industry, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard job to get, and it requires a ton of training, and like he got a really good job. But he was honest with him, saying, God's called me to go to another place to do something totally different. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing here to provide for my family and be faithful to what I've been called to. And you know what? Because it requires a lot of training and because it, because it requires a lot uh, put into this job, they said, you know what, we can't have you stay because um, we need to get someone else in here that we can train. And, um, and so you, you need to not, you're not going to be working here much longer. Devastating for this person who's like trying to, it's like an airplane trying to like get all the energy so it has the energy to get off the ground, right? And you talk about totally deflating this person. And fear. I mean, even hearing the story along the way, I'm like, fearful for this person. Scared for this person and their family. But he remained faithful. And um, loved and he served people every day. One of his customers came in. And just like every other customer, this friend of mine treated them as if they were Jesus himself. The least of these. And unbeknownst to him, uh, he didn't even know necessarily who this person, this customer was. But then he sat down with the boss boss. Like the boss boss of his company. And he learned, and he was trying to figure out, like, how am I going to keep this job? How am I going to provide for my family? We, we've been caught. And, and that boss boss... <laughs> 
said to him, um, I just want you to know that the way you treated my parents um, when they came in um, and they were your customer, um, I want you to know that that made a significant impression on me. And um, I want you to know that as long as uh, you're here, um, you have a job. Come on. That kicked Satan right in the teeth. Be faithful to your customers. Be faithful to the least of these. We don't know who they are. But ultimately, we need to see them as Jesus himself. In this story, (laughs) Jesus teaches us that serving others is the main conduit to serving him. Last thought, Titus 2.14, you don't need to turn there. It has one of the greatest declarations, I think, in our Christian faith. Titus 2.14, if you're taking notes, just write that down, but listen. Titus 2 and verse, actually, I'm going to start at verse 11. It says, if you hear nothing, let's just this, the word of God like blanket you right now. Listen, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You want to know what it's like to be a Christian? It's that. It's living upright life, like fleeing ungodliness and worldly passion, living self-controlled and godly lives in this present age. And so many Christians get this. I'm not supposed to do those things. But what am I actually supposed to do? Waiting for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's coming back. Amen? Who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? This is what we're supposed to be doing. This analogy before he comes back to judge and he's coming back to judge and you're a sheep. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your trust in what he did on the cross, the finished work of the cross, if if you've done that, and you've asked him to save you, and you're running after him, and your full faith, full faith is in him. You are sheep. What are the sheep supposed to do while we wait for the shepherd to return? Listen for his voice. But he's also said that we're supposed to wait in anxiousness, and uh, 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 put to a- anxiousness, put to action, a zealous, like, uh, waiting to do good deeds, good works as we wait for him to come back. That day, that day, when he separates the sheep and the goat is the day that matters. No other day matters. In fact, I challenge you this. I, I challenge you this, this very thought. Does it matter on that day? Then it should matter today. If it matters on that day, then it should matter today. And I would also say, if it doesn't matter on that day, then it doesn't matter today. Think about the things in your life. Think about the things that you're striving for. Does it matter on that day? Well, it should matter today. Think about the things that you're struggling with. Or think about the things that you long to run from or flee from. It doesn't matter on that day? Yes. Then it should matter today. You're here today. What you do today, in this moment, can truly and directly affect that day. Both in how we treat the least of these, and by our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. As we throw ourselves on his grace, in the name of Jesus. Would you stand? Jesus, I ask in the name of Jesus that, that in your name... We trust you. We lean into you. We know it's by your grace and our faith in what you've done. It's not of ourselves. We will not boast.
We know we fall short. But we trust in you to redeem us. God, I pray to this, this very moment, this very moment, if there are people in this room that have never had the most amazing moment to receive you as their Savior, may today, may right now be that moment. God, I pray that right now that they would have the guts to trust you, to believe in you, that they would even pray a prayer that's like this. Jesus, I know I fall short. I know I've sinned. And I know my sin separates me from your holiness. But I recognize that you've made a way for me to be forgiven. You've made a way for me to be whole and redeemed. And today, I ask you into my life, Jesus. Call me a sheep. Call me whatever you want. I'm following the shepherd. Today, I make that decision, God. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I ask that today you'd let the gospel change everything in my life. I lay it all down at your feet. And I just pray this in the name of Jesus. As I begin my new relationship with you, everything changes. Amen.